Welcome to Navigating the Cancer Maze with Grace Goller. Dealing with cancer is by no means easy to handle, but our program aims to make it easier through knowledge. Whether you've been recently diagnosed, are going through treatment right now, or are a survivor, our program will have points that you should hear. And by sharing our stories together, we'll make it truly a life-changing experience that you don't have to go through alone. Now, here is your host, Grace Goller. Welcome to another edition of Navigating the Cancer Maze. Today's show is coming to you from Germany, and I'm your host, Grace Gawler. Today's interview is one I've been looking forward to for a very long time. I'll be interviewing Dr. Horst Lindhofer, and he's from Tryon Pharma in Munich. He has a very interesting history and, in fact, uh, was a part of developing the TriMab approach, initiating the first clinical studies with tri-functional antibodies. And we're going to be talking a lot about what they are during today's program and how they are revolutionising uh, oncology throughout the world. He's published several um, scientific articles in peer-reviewed journals. He's won several prestigious awards for this groundbreaking work in the field of cancer immunotherapy. So if you have any interest in this field, uh, where it's going, and even uh, the application of some of these uh, new uh, TriMab approaches for your own situation, please listen again and again and again to this interview because it's full of information that will help you in navigating the cancer maze. So, without further ado, welcome to the show, Horst Lindhofer. Hello, here's Horst. Thank you for the invitation. Wonderful. Um, Horst, can you tell me about the beginnings of Tryon Pharma? Yeah. Uh, talking about the beginnings of Tryon Pharma, I have to start my beginnings at the uh, Helmholtz Center Munich. This was the start of my postdoctoral fellow uh, time. And uh, here um, I was asked whether I w- would be interested in bispecific antibodies uh, for the treatment of cancer in uh, certain preclinical models which was uh, yeah, the main topic of the Helmholtz Center Munich at that time. They've had um, big expertise in uh, cancer models and have had a big arsenal of murine and uh, red monoclonal antibodies, which I was able to use for my experiments. And uh, I started this time in 1992, this project, uh, <laughs> standalone. And then, of course, uh, I had first uh, made some work for um, uh, for fresh money, you know, from foundations to get a technical assistant. And then I was able to start experiments first uh, to um, yeah to create such bi-specific antibodies from the literature. And um, yeah, when I created the first bi-specific, we were able to do first in vitro experiments and so on. But the decisive point was um, that we have had rat and mouse antibodies available at this um, facility at the Helmholtz Center. And when I um, started to create such antibodies, I, I quite fast recognized how complicated it is to create and purify such antibodies. And therefore, my work concentrated at the beginning uh, to to make such special red mouse combinations for certain isotypes. And um, it was at uh, that time that I was one of the first who tried a special isotype combination by fusing red and mouse uh, uh, monoclonal antibodies, hybridomas. And then um, I recognized that uh, as a consequence, this special red mouse uh, hybrids have had also certain characteristics, not only for for the production, but also in vivo um, in our immunocompetent mouse tumor models. And from that time, yeah, I I was invited for conferences uh, here also in US, in Minneapolis, I remember, international 
experimental hematology conference and <laughs> at the time I was quite young and uh, was uh, um, yeah, proposed for a new investigator uh, award and um, I won that in, in 1994 and this was like a door opener for me back in, in Germany. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I tell this because in, for young uh, scientists it's, which is uh, really uh, helpful uh, thing to to come in contact with more experienced colleagues and senior colleagues, you know. And from that time, um, I I have had the availability to get better to funds, and so I could um, uh, expand my group. And uh, this new data which we created, I was also able to to write the first patents. And uh, that I think there were important prerequisites to to bring this work really to a, to a, um, let's say yeah critical uh, sub substance you know so that uh, in 1997 somebody from the technical transfer department of the Helmholtz Center asked me to contribute uh, to a business plan competition which was at that time. Uh, initiated by McKinsey in Munich, mm -hmm. and uh, in the, during this competition, yeah, I, I wrote down uh, my ideas and I uh, came together with a more business-like uh, uh, companion, uh, which supported me in writing this business plan from the from the business side. I was the scientific part, and uh, in 1997 we we won then uh, a prize also in this. amazing I'll just interrupt you there because uh, if you hadn't had that business approach to partner with the research approach uh, we may not have these amazing antibodies today yeah absolutely right because my plans at that time were, were totally different I, I planned to to be uh, a professor you know to, to go to the normal academic career uh, to do the normal academic career in Germany and to, to think about students, you know, and, and make more publications. Mm -hmm. But um, I have had a limitation in my contract that after five years I have to look for another job here in Germany. And this was also something like an um, yeah, in, initial um, initiation, you know, to, to contribute also to such a business plan uh, uh, competition because uh, I was forced <laughs> to, mm -hmm. to think here about my future and, and what is possible with, with my results. Yeah, and um, when we won this uh, competition, uh, when we got the, the first also um, yeah, talks with, with uh, Venture Capital, uh, how it would be possible to 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 bring these ideas in, into an environment which is commercial and which can later be presented to Big Pharma. That was the idea of this business plan competition mm -hmm. to develop a real biopharmaceutical. And um, at that time, we, we were successful in negotiating uh, with two venture capitals to to finance our ideas. I, I got also an uh, invitation to the board of Fresenius. Fresenius is a, yeah, a, a, a medium-sized, uh, or at that time was a medium-sized, uh, uh, not pharma company, but a medical device company. Mm -hmm. And um, the board decided, at that time I also created a medical device idea, you know, that's uh, why they're in, they were interested. And... Um, for the, for the market. And um, after this meeting at the board from Fresenius, uh, several days later, I got the uh, message that, uh, yeah, one should start with negotiations for cooperation and license agreement. 
marketing and license agreement. Right. And this was, of course, <laughs> a very big chance, which you probably got only one time in your life <laughs> uh, to, to present your data uh, in front of our board of, of such a big company with billion revenues. Yep. Billions of uh, D-Mark at that time. <laughs> yeah, it was 1998. And um, yeah, we, we were successful in negotiating and, and from 1998 we started Tron Pharma. And uh, this was uh, supported and financed by Fresenius, this company. And um, we decided how to go on with the development of the trifunctional antibodies. At that time, the first idea was a medicinal device product, which we um, yeah, developed until the market in 2000. Mm -hmm. But in parallel, I, I was able to yeah, fascinate the Fresenius uh, stuff um, that um, this could also be a biopharmaceutical, you know. Uh, a product uh, against cancer, uh, um, a new product for cancer therapy, and especially an immunotherapy approach. Mm. Yeah, that, that was a new, and this was the first step of a trifunctional in, in the big world of, of commercialization. Um, I'd just like to, I know many of our listeners are probably asking this, a rat and a mouse antibody, how, how does this work in a, in a person? And, um, you know, how do you get that to the, the place of being on a pharmaceutical line um, for a clinical treatment? Yeah, that's, of course, a very important question, which I, I, I got this question often from, um, yeah, from big pharma uh, business developers and scientists. I think we are here swimming against the mainstream. That's first a fact. Because from, from the 90s, the whole community, let's say, they are developing chimerized or humanized antibodies, mm. monoclonal, monospecific antibodies, not multispecific antibodies that I have created. And um, for such antibodies, of course, this makes a lot of sense. Because... Um, yeah, monoclonal antibodies like uh, Blockbuster, uh, Rituxan, Rituximab, or, yes. or Herceptin for breast cancer, they have to be applied to the patient chronically, you know, mm -hmm. often, and often uh, even for the rest of your life. Like if you think of breast cancer and Herceptin, so uh, this is a normal application modus to, to apply this every three weeks or later every three months uh, to have a steady, um, let's say, yeah, concentration of his antibodies uh, uh, which should uh, attack the tumor. Right. But um, with the trifunctional antibodies, it's a different uh, idea behind. The idea with the trifunctionals is um, they are not interested for chronic treatment, for chronic application of the patient. We try to, to get a step further, you know, in immunotherapy. Mm -hmm. So our idea is that um, we can attack the tumor cell much more aggressive than, than such a monospecific antibody, like Herceptin, for instance. So therefore, we also do not need a simultaneous chemotherapy. Probably you know that uh, Herceptin um, uh, will be applied in parallel with a chemotherapy, or Avestin, yes. also a, a, a absolutely blockbuster drug, will also be applied only in combination with a chemotherapy. But my personal opinion was always um, this could not be the future because in my eyes this is not a real immunotherapy. Immunotherapy should act uh, only with the immune system and not in, in, in combination or simultaneous application of, of chemotherapy because some chemotherapies we know is, is, is also immunosuppressive. Yes. And therefore, this is not the ideal combination in my eyes. Yeah, and therefore the idea was um, try to induce a more powerful immune response against the tumor. And this is, um, yeah, this is uh, possible by the simultaneous binding and activation of different types of immune cells in the vicinity of a tumor. If you think of a mode of action of Herceptin, for instance, this antibody will bind to HER2 on tumor cells and will attract accessory cells of the immune system like 
um, you have, for instance, macrophages and K cells. Mm -hmm. But uh, we know from more than 20 years that the most powerful cell of immune system to, to attack target cells is not or are not natural killer cells or macrophages, but these are, these are, uh, this is a T cell. The T cell is the most powerful cell. And therefore, we are redirecting T cells and the accessory cells simultaneously against the tumor. And we could demonstrate in the in vitro experiments that uh, in direct combination with Herceptin, for instance, we are here 1,000-fold more powerful in destroying the tumor cells. That's fairly amazing. Horse, we're going to take a break here on Navigating the Cancer Maze and we'll be back in a couple of minutes to continue this conversation um, because uh, I'm sure there's a lot more that I could ask you around that. So we'll be back in a moment. Listen each week to Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller, from the Grace Goller Institute as she interviews cancer medicine experts, researchers, allied health professionals, patients, and caregivers. Navigating the Cancer Maze provides you with information, education, inspiration, and a toolkit that will equip you wherever you are and whoever you are to effectively navigate your way through the cancer maze. The Grace Goller Institute also provides ebook resources. Be inspired. Be empowered. Visit the Institute's website at www.gracegollarinstitute.com or email institute at gracegollar.com. You are tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll-free from North America at one 866 472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at gracegoller.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. We're back on Navigating the Cancer Maze and today I'm speaking with Dr. Horst Lindhofer from Trion Pharma who um, is in Munich and we're talking about trifunctional antibodies and uh, Trion Pharma's role in that. So welcome back. We had to stop um, Horst when we were talking about the red mouse. So would you like to continue with uh, picking that up from where we left before the break? Yeah, of course. Um, I just mentioned that uh, for chronic application in patients, the red mouse format is not optimal because uh, this is a foreign protein and by time the patient's immune system will create an anti-drug antibody response. Mm -hmm. But uh, our solution to this problem was that we are not planning a chronic application of these antibodies. As I mentioned, um, these, um, the redirection of T-cells and accessory cells simultaneously to the tumor cell leads to a very effective first attack against the tumor and destruction of tumor cells. And um, we are not planning to, to give this antibody then uh, for the rest of your life, you know, let's say one time a, uh, a month or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but we uh, want first um, apply it for first strong hit against the tumor cell, uh, against the tumor cells and the, the tumor uh, site. So we could uh, already here observe in patients even shrinkage of solid tumor mass. Mm. And then um, as a next step, uh, uh, after a certain time interval, we are applying this antibody for a second or even third time, like in the vaccination, a, a booster. Right. application. I think everybody knows in, in vaccination you need often a second or third booster application of, of the vaccine Yes. and uh, we are doing our uh, clinical trials in a similar way. So we have now data from a second application which we presented this year at the ESCO conference for instance uh, to treat malignant ascites um, we were able to demonstrate that a second cycle is a, a one cycle is four applications within, uh, within 11 days. We can repeat such an application and see again 
an effect against the tumor load, but more important, we can also observe um, anti-tumor response in about uh, 50 to 80% of the patients which were treated initially. And um, this could be, for instance, measured in a humoral anti-tumor response. Mm. And the important point was that uh, these patients um, also experienced um, an improvement, um, uh, for instance, of a, a clinical outcome. That means in the case of malignant ascites patients that the time interval to next therapeutic uh, puncture could be prolonged significantly. And even um, the, the uh, overall survival for these patients, which could be treated by the trifunctional antibody, could be substantially prolonged. And just in case some people listening to the program today are wondering what is ascites, could you just give a definition of that, please? Oh, yeah, of course. It's not a, such a common um, uh, cancer um, host called symptom. Um, for the big indications like colon carcinoma, ovarian carcinoma, especially in about 20 to 30 percent of patients in an advanced stage of the disease, uh, they can have this experience of an, uh, reaccumulation of fluid in the belly, mm -hmm. in the peritoneal cavity. And the reason for that is that uh, tumor cells which are growing in the peritoneum can obstruct the, the, the efflux um, of fluid in the peritoneal cavity and therefore you have a reaccumulation of fluid in the, in the belly and this is of course leads to a bad quality of life. Absolutely. So uh, to have a treatment for this, I, I believe there hasn't been, apart from draining the fluid away, that before there hasn't been anything that has treated this. Is that correct? Of course. The, the standard therapy is um, in such patients just to make a hole here um, in the peritoneal cavity to, to let the fluid out, to, to give a relief to the patients. Um, because this could be litters here in the peritoneum which accumulate up to five or six liters, for instance. Mm. And so you've got problem to breathe even, you know, and uh, you have uh, no appetite and all these things which are connected with this um, bad quality of life as a result of this ascites. Yeah, it's a very big impact. Yeah, and um, when you have already here um, um, doing, doing a hole, you know, in, into the peritoneum to, to let the fluid out, you can also here insert a catheter system to yeah. apply our antibody uh, through the same hole you do the puncture, the other way around to apply our antibody into the peritoneum. I see. And this is the idea, so that we can apply the antibody direct uh, in the peritoneal cavity that um, it can attack the tumor cells, which are here abundantly present. I think that is uh, really, really exciting. When you came upon this and this method of delivery, how did you feel? I mean, this is a, you're rather a scientific breakthrough. Yeah, um, of course, when we did it the first time, I think it was 15 years ago at the end of the 90s, um, it was, of course, for us impressive to treat the first patient uh, with this uh, applied antibodies directly into the peritoneum and saw immediately the very uh, yeah, surprising effect on, this, on the tumor cells which, which are swimming normally into this ascitic fluid, within the ascitic fluid. Mm -hmm. And we could demonstrate that after this application that the immune cells are proliferating and the tumor cells that after three to four infusions um, disappeared totally. Uh, um, at least in this uh, in this fluid um, which comes um, here out of the belly spontaneously, you know. Yeah, I, I'm gathering from what you're saying, it's a far better response than you expected. Pardon, I didn't. Is it a far better response that when that happened, um, was it a surprise that it was as good? Did you think it was going to be this amazing? No, we, we were really surprised, in, in, in especially for the fact that they applied um, very small amounts, you know, to, to of this antibody to be on the safe side. Because these were first initial treatments of patients um, the years before we treated only mice. 
and therefore for the first human you have to be very careful with the dosage of course mm. and therefore we start with very small dosages from 10 microgram for instance and this is extremely low dosage if you compare it with approved antibodies like Herceptin, where you are applying, for instance, 280 milligrams you wow. know, per infusion, or Rituximab with 375 milligrams per infusion. And here we used only 10 micrograms. And uh, therefore, it was especially surprising that uh, the application of 10, 20, 50, 150 micrograms uh, before infusions was able to, quant uh, to, to really destroy the tumor cells, the tumor cells which you can detect um, via certain um, yeah, assays in, in the peritoneal fluid. Mm. Um, that leads me on to asking you if you could just explain in a little more detail the difference between these monoclonal antibodies, you've talked about them being different in their action. Actually, how does a monoclonal antibody work in the body compared to a trifunctional? Is there, is there a sort of a simple overview that you could provide to us? Yeah, I, I would try. <laughs> it's, I know it's really complex, but yeah, if we could do it as simply as possible. Of course. Uh, I would start with Herceptin, I think a very well-known antibody which is approved for breast cancer. Yeah. Herceptin is a more specific monoclonal antibody. It's, it has a white shape, a shape uh, like a Y. Mm -hmm. um, and um, the, the ends of the Y, uh, they recognize the same structure, HER2. In mm -hmm. a trifunctional antibody, one of its arms is, is recognizing not a tumor target like HER2, for instance, but a target on, on T cells like CD3. Yep. And uh, so therefore, this is bispecific in terms of the two binding arms of this Y-shaped molecule. And therefore, uh, a monoclonal, monospecific antibody like Herceptin will bind with both arms to the tumor cell, and only the, the, the tail of this molecule can interact with immune cells, like natural killer cells, for instance. Yep. And this is one of the assumed... Um, yeah, a mode of actions of Herceptin, for instance, to, to attack tumor cells. Another uh, mode of action which is described is that the signal transduction can also be inhibited by, by blocking this HER2 uh, molecule on the surface of, of tumor cells. But uh, if we, I come back to the trifunctional antibodies, um, with one arm we are binding the tumor cell, not with two arms. And the second arm is, is binding to a T cell, which is the most potent cell of the immune system, as I told you before. Mm -hmm. And by the way, this cell will also be, the T cell will also be activated by this binding event at the tumor site. And through the tail, we can additionally also attract accessory cells like macrophages, natural killer cells. So our difference, main difference is that we can attract two different types of immune cells at the tumor site. The T cell, which is the most potent cell to attack target cells, and secondly, also next killer cells or macrophages, which have totally different killer mechanisms, for instance, like the T cell. And here come a third part into play, which is in my eyes the most interesting of the trifunctional antibodies. Mm -hmm. Because by the uh, there is a, a crosstalk at the tumor cell between the two types of immune cells I just mentioned. The T cell can, can have a crosstalk with the accessory cells and vice versa. And that leads to a concerted attack with different killer mechanisms against even very resistant tumor cells, which then can be destroyed because we all know that the tumor cells are very smart. Yeah. yeah, immunologist, you can say. <laughs> the tumor cell has evolved a lot of mechanisms to paralyze the immune system, to, to make a camouflage, you can say. Yeah. Or, or to be resist against, uh, resistant, for instance, against apoptosis, apoptosis induction. That means the, yeah, um, the, the self-killing of a cell. Um, so tumor cells are here very resistant. But against this concerted attack of different immune cells, which have even different killer mechanisms, even such very resistant tumor cells can be destroyed. And now came the macrophage and the dendritic cells into play, 
which after the destruction of the tumor cell can now, in our next step, phagocytose this tumor cell material, the debris, and within this tumor material are also the individual tumor-specific mutations which lead to the tumor cell development. And uh, by the uptake of this material, by these professional antigen-presenting cells, in a second step, this tumor material can be newly presented by this, by this professional antigen-presenting cells, like dendritic cells, in a, in a new phase to naive T-cells. That's a second step, you know, a second mm. phase after this killing and uptake of the tumor material by the special immune cells. And then naive T-cells can be newly educated um, by these professional antigen-presenting cells to learn what are the individual mutations of the of individual tumor of the patients and against which structures are immune response shall be raised. I think you have explained that absolutely beautifully, Horst. We're just going to take another break now on Navigating the Cancer Maze. I am speaking today with Dr. Horst Lindhofer from Tryon Pharma in Munich and we'll be back shortly. Learn to navigate the cancer maze with trusted professionals in cancer health care. The Grace Goller Institute, a not-for-profit organization with an established track record, a global clientele, and expertise in local and international referrals. The Institute's founder has almost 40 years' experience as a multidiscipline cancer strategist with a focus on finding options and implementing personalized care for cancer patients. The Grace Goller Institute can help you navigate the cancer maze. Why not email the Institute today at institute at gracegoller.com or visit their website at gracegollerinstitute.com. You are tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll-free from North America at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at gracegoller.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. We're back on Navigating the Cancer Maze. I'm your host, Grace Gawler. Today, speaking with Dr. Horst Lindhofer from Tryon Pharma in Munich, and we're talking about trifunctional antibodies. So, Horst, you were just uh, talking with me there during the break about uh, more about the red mouse antibody and its ongoing effect. Would you like to continue our conversation with that? Yes, thank you for this opportunity. I just mentioned what are the reasons why we can use red mouse, such a foreign protein, for cancer therapy uh, in, in, in the present days, because the, the normal monospecific antibodies will all be humanized so that they can be given chronically to the patients for years. But this is not our intention, and I, I just try to explain how these antibodies can induce um, a, a tumor response and, 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 and to initiate an education of the patient's immune system to, to learn how the patient's tumor is looking like and to raise here an immune response against the individual mutations of a patient. Mm-hmm. And if this is accomplished, then you don't need a chronic application. Then probably a second or third application, like booster applications in, in vaccination, in classical vaccination, could be sufficient so that the patient's immune system is educated and and can, in in a further step, control its own tumor by the the patient's immune system itself. That's that's our vision and and our um, approach. This is a very, very intelligent approach, and it's one that's rather a new paradigm, isn't it, in um, oncology, because they've been looking at how to kill the cancer rather than how to help the patient's immune system recognize the cancer, yeah? 
Yeah, of course. I'm, I'm discussing this with my colleagues at the conferences in detail. And you can imagine, mm. this is, of course, a hot topic. Oh, yes. <laughs> because uh, we really have to present your data, you know, that this is not only fantasy, but that we have really, um, uh, uh, yeah, uh, supporting data not only from, from animal models, from immune-competent mice, for instance, but also from patients, which we have treated in, in our... Um, pivotal trial, uh, for instance, uh, for which leads to the approval. And um, here the agencies were, of course, the authorities, like the EMA in Europe was very interested about our molecule, how it works in the patient's body. And therefore we have, uh, we have had to develop something like an immune monitoring to demonstrate uh, also the agency what happens in the patient's body after application of such trifunctional antibodies. Mm. I don't know whether you can, um, it's a tricky question, it's one we haven't discussed before, but it's just come to me now, for patients who are using chemotherapy, um, is there a way, therefore, of using both of these systems to the body and the patient's advantage? Chemotherapy and immunotherapy. Yeah, that's a very, very important question because um, both therapies, the chemotherapy and the immunotherapy, can work synergistically. But it's still under debate which sequence is the best, you oh, know. No. Um, for instance, i give an example. If you have had already seven different chemotherapies, then of course you have a certain immunosuppression in your body because these drugs um, partly yeah, not only hitting the tumor but also your own immune system. Yes. But if you make your intelligent combination for instance make first a chemotherapy for a first hit against the tumor and then already instead of the second chemotherapy you are uh, applying for instance an immunotherapy then you can attack the tumor from a totally different side. Because the problem with, with a lot of chemotherapies is that um, after a certain time, the tumor is developing resistance. Mm. And therefore the tumor stem cell hypothesis is, is here, uh, has, has brought us a lot of data that this in fact um, that, that is true and that the cancer stem cells can grow even under chemotherapy because they have evolved mechanisms, for instance, to, to get rid of the chemotherapy drugs. Or that's only one possibility, you know, through a certain pumping out of this uh, drugs out of the cell. Yes. And here, in such a situation, it makes a lot of sense to change the, the pressure you lay on the tumor. That means that you are using different killer mechanisms, like, for instance, the chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's uh, for instance, comparable with uh, certain antibiotics, uh, the bacteria, you know. You're starting with an anti antibiotic and then you're killing uh, most of bacteria, but, but some are resistant and then you need a different killer mechanism right. to, to get rid of your bacteria. And this is comparable. Even, uh, it's, it's quite comparable with the tumor cells. You, you're laying on your evolution so that... Um, tumor cells will survive, which have certain resistant mechanisms against the chemotherapy type 1, let's say. And then you need maybe not only a, a second or different chemotherapy, but maybe it's even better to make a total different approach like immunotherapy. Mm -hmm. If you have uh, also a monoclonal antibody, does that also work with the chemotherapy and the trifunctional antibody in some kind of a pathway? Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, we have had in our trials already patients which have received first, uh, for instance, chemotherapy or they have received a combination of herceptin with a chemotherapy and, um, and have uh, had a, a long time period of benefit from this therapy, but someday they get a relapse, you know, sometimes after years. Yes. And then often these tumor cell clones which came up then are resistant, for instance, against the combination herceptin with chemotherapy. And then you need a different approach. 
Mm. And here um, in, in our current trials, we are trying to, with our trifunctional antibodies, to give the patients a new chance uh, by using the trifunctional antibodies. Right. Um, Horst, I wanted to talk uh, specifically about ovarian cancer. It is one of the very difficult cancers to treat, and we do have a lot of people listening to the program who do have that particular type of cancer. Um, we talked a little before uh, the break about uh, the trifunctional antibody Remuvab. Um, and I know back in 2004, I, I came across on the internet a few years ago, um, the video presentation by uh, Michael Yeager, who is working with you. Um, so could we talk a little bit about not only the ascites aspect for ovarian cancer patients, because um, this really opens a doorway to a very new approach to treating ovarian cancer, and in particular talking about EPCAM receptor. EPCAM, and we, yeah. could you explain what an EPCAM receptor is and how that means that you can be treated with this, this antibody? Yeah, maybe I'll first explain what EPCAM is. What Please, the yes. Structure and tumor cells, and then secondly, I would come to the case of ovarian carcinoma and our experiences, especially ovarian carcinoma. That would be wonderful, thank you. So, EPCAM means that it's an epithelial cell adhesion molecule which is on the surface of most carcinomas. Carcinomas are solid growing tumors which uh, uh, came from, for instance, um, are derived from colon carcinoma, breast cancer, uh, gastric cancer, or ovarian carcinoma, or even lung cancer. So it's a very broad variety of cancers which are expressing EPCAM on the tumor cells to, in most cases, about 90% of, of cases. So it's, from that side, a very interesting target antigen. At the beginning of the development, a lot of people were a bit um, afraid um, because there were some histological investigations which demonstrated that EPCAM is also expressed on healthy epithelia. Mm. But uh, what we have now learned in, in more than 15 years is that um, we have not to be too much, uh, we have not to uh, be too afraid about this because um, the normal tissues are normally uh, protected by a basal membrane and the EPCAM molecules are between two cells, you know, which are healthy. And if you are injecting something in the bloodstream, for instance, the antibody came not directly into contact with healthy tissue and would not attack healthy tissue in most cases. Right. But, but tumors, you know, have a chaotic growing. And here the basal membrane, which is protecting healthy tissue, is not more protecting um, fast-growing solid tumors. That means that from the bloodstream or in the peritoneum, from the application, we do it uh, now with the approved Katumaxima uh, Bremovat, um, the, the antibody can bind directly to the tumor cells and interact with the immune cells so that it comes to tumor attack. So first, this was for, for the antigen EPCAM, a short introduction. Good. <laughs> that was clear. It was good. Yeah. And now I, I try to uh, yeah, explain you more about the special case ovarian carcinoma. Uh, we first came into contact with ovarian carcinoma with a malignant ascites. Because in malignant, uh, in a case of ovarian carcinoma, uh, after the standard therapy, uh, which are different chemotherapies and of course surgery, and uh, after certain time intervals, let's say one or two years, uh, it often comes to a relapse situation. Mm. And in the relapse situation, about 20 to 30 percent of the patients already um, develop this malignant ascites. The uh, accumulation of fluid in the belly. Mm -hmm. And here we performed the, these first uh, experiments in pilot studies, but then also in a phase one, two trial, and in the pivotal trial, we treated a lot of ovarian carcinoma patients, and we recognized that they cannot only statistically significantly prolong this uh, puncture-free interval, which is extremely important for quality of life for these patients, but also in certain analysis where we um, saw that if they received Katamaximab at all, we could also prolong overall survival um, 
uh, statistical significantly. Great. Mm. That was important. And now the idea came up, and this was uh, developed together with uh, the charity in Berlin, here in Germany, the um, very experienced surgeons at the charity, and they developed together with us the idea, why not applying already uh, Katomaxima Bremovap at the end of surgery? Mm -hmm. Because in most cases, the surgeons today are so experienced that they can, I think in about 75% of cases, they can remove completely the tumor, which is visible mm. <laughs> for the surgeon. That's the point. Um, so it looks very good after surgery, but after a certain time interval, mm, they have still the relapse. That means at time of surgery, at the end of surgery, there, there, there must be some disseminated tumor cells, you know, single cells, which cannot never be uh, found by the surgeon, yes. which are around in this big peritone peritoneal cavity, swimming around somewhere, and doing this deadly metastasis in, in, in some years later. Mm -hmm. And therefore the idea came up, why not applying the Removab antibody directly at the end of surgery in, into this peritoneal cavity before closing the, 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 uh, yeah, the surgery. And here we performed a phase two trial and presented, I think it was last year already, uh, a three-year follow-up uh, from 41 treated patients um, which were treated this way, I just mentioned. They received already Removab during the uh, surgery and then um, we waited for one week and they additionally received uh, Removab uh, via a, a port system. Mm -hmm. The standard application of four uh, increasing dosages within 10 days. And the interesting result was that, um, of, of course, uh, the, the weakness is here that we have not performed a randomized study, but that is the task for the future. But in comparison with a match pair analysis, we could demonstrate um, statistically significant prolongation of survival in the patients which received Removab in this way. And we believe this is the future because you have to destroy and find the tumor cells in a situation where the tumor load is very low. And this is the case at the end of surgery. Yes, there's a really important thing you're saying here. No, then it's extremely hard to, to develop a curative treatment or even maybe impossible because the tumor is so established that you have almost no chance, you know, to, to destroy all the different tumor mutants and the tumor masses. But after, directly after surgery, you have a very good situation to even think of curative treatment. That is uh, fantastic news for the future, I think, and let's hope the future comes forward very quickly um, because uh, many of the patients that we see, as you're aware, we, we do bring a lot of patients to Germany for treatment and most of them have been through everything and they come through to us at stage four where tumours are very established. And it doesn't mean they're not manageable, but what you're saying makes so much sense. Absolutely, and um, I would like to introduce at this uh, here, uh, point of a discussion uh, Jonathan Barrett from Stanford University. He has also um, um, accompanied, um, accompanied one of our trials in the U.S., um, and I discussed uh, with him a lot about this um, yeah, adjuvant setting, you can say, directly after surgery, and, and he's uh, uh, really convinced that this could be an interesting approach, and uh, currently we are looking for investors um, to uh, initiate such a study, also in the U.S. Fantastic. Um, Horst, we've got about five minutes left of our time today. Um, I'd like you to inform our listeners of the different types of antibodies now that are being produced. We've only talked about Removab. Can you talk about the others that are now available and some that are in the pipeline? Yeah, of course. Um, we have three um, fervor trifunctional antibodies, uh, antibodies which we have in development. We looked very careful on the target antigens to uh, get here you no know, surprises, and therefore we used uh, target antigens which are very good characterized. 
from from history, you know. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we're using also the HER2 antigen for breast cancer and produced here a trifunctional antibody, which is uh, currently in a phase one, two trial ongoing. And um, our third trifunctional antibody candidate is recognizing on the tumor site CD20. We all know the, the benefits of rituximab, and we could demonstrate in in vitro experiments that we are um, here clearly superior in, in tumor cell destruction than, than rituximab. And uh, we have here also initiated a phase one, two trial in Germany, and have here already uh, fascinating uh, data from our um, uh, first analysis. And the third uh, compound is recognizing GD2. GD2 is expressed on melanoma, uh, but also, for instance, on small cell lung cancer and neuroblastoma uh, in children. Mm. And this is um, the, yeah, uh, the, the candidate which is uh, still in preclinical development. At the moment, um, we are producing new GMP material uh, for these antibodies to go on with our phase one, two trials. And uh, for uh, CD20, for instance, I'm especially optimistic because here's a special case um, which we were also surprised. We found that only in 14% of patients uh, such an anti-drug antibody response was developed. You remember when we talked about the red mouse origin? Yes. Uh, normally in 80% of patients such an anti-drug antibody response will be raised. Mm -hmm. which limit the duration of the treatment, so they cannot give it chronically for years. They are not intended to it. But in the special case of the CD20, uh, we are also depleting the normal B cells, which are um, responsible for raising such an anti-drug antibody response. And we found that uh, this antibody can deplete so um, efficiently the CD20 cells, not only the tumor cells, but also the healthy B cells like rituximab, so that uh, such an anti-drug response will not be raised or only in very few patients. That means we have a much um, yeah, better opportunity to prolong treatment. Oh, very, very exciting. Um, I could talk to you all day, Horst. Um, can you tell us the availability, of, if there's any health professionals in particular, because this show does filter through to some health professionals, how can they learn more about the antibodies? Can you direct them to some information, research or a website, just in closing? Yeah. Um, the best available antibody, of course, is Removap, the yep. approved antibody. Uh, the other antibodies are still in uh, clinical development, and here, of course, it's very limited uh, because we have, uh, for, uh, of course, we have to deliver the antibody um, preferentially to the uh, to the trials, mm -hmm. and this is limiting, of course, the possibility here. We have first to await the data from the clinical trials. Yep. And if they're interested in uh, pursuing any other research that's happening, how, how do they find you and try on Pharma? This is for the health professionals only. Um, can you repeat it, please? I, I didn't get it. Yeah, sorry. Um, how can health professionals get in touch with you or where can they get more information as these processes become available? Would you like to mention the website? Yeah. Um um, responsible for the availability of the antibody is Fresenius Biotech. Mm -hmm. And uh, they have a website uh, with a special service, you know, for health professionals. Right. Where they can um, ask questions also and for the availability on, in certain territories or regions. What I know is that um, this antibody is available, of course, in Europe. But... Um, uh, the uh, international pharmacy is it's always possible to to get this antibody right in, in other territories but um, here I think the, the website of Fresenius biotech uh, with the um, uh, yeah, uh, word Removap or Katumaximab should help further to find that through Google yeah yeah. Okay. And um, if anyone is listening who's a health professional, I'd be more than happy to pass that on to you. You can also uh, email me at institute at com. 
Horst Lindhofer, thank you so much today. This has been a very information-rich and very valuable um, time that we've spent together. I'm sure it's inspired a lot of patience and uh, all the best with your future uh, research. I think you are doing the most amazing job and this is breakthrough medicine. It's going to change the way, I think, that the cancer medicine is practiced. Okay, So thank you very much. Bye for now. Learn to navigate the cancer maze with trusted professionals in cancer health care. The Grace Scholar Institute, a not-for-profit organization with an established track record, a global clientele, and expertise in local and international referrals. The Institute's founder has almost 40 years' experience as a multidiscipline cancer strategist with a focus on finding options and implementing personalized care for cancer patients. The Grace Scholar Institute can help you navigate the cancer maze. Why not email the Institute today at institute at gracegoller.com or visit their website at gracegollerinstitute.com. You are tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll-free from North America at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at gracegoller.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Welcome back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. This is our final session for today. I have really enjoyed the month of June and getting to meet personally and also interview some of the top level people working in the area of immunotherapies and immunology. Last week we had Professor Jérôme Galland from Paris in France and he shared with us some of his breakthrough research on cancer immunology and the immune system and how it works with cancer. If you missed that episode, please go back and have a listen to it because I think these are four of the most important Navigating the Cancer Maze episodes that we've had in a row. Um, And it's about one topic and that is your immune system. And uh, we also recently interviewed uh, Jill O'Donnell-Tormey, Dr. Jill O'Donnell-Tormey, from cancerresearch.org, and she was able to also walk us through the immune system and what is happening in the U.S., and I'm going to talk more about that particular research and work in a moment. Uh, Today, with uh, Dr. Horst Lindhofer, talking about the trifunctional antibodies, They're coming in from another angle, and it's very exciting to see all of this material finally coming to the light of day because you, the patient, is going to benefit from it. Now, if you're a health professional and you're listening today or you would like to get this information to your health professional, um, I'd advise you to go to tryonresearch.de on the web. So if you type that into um, Google and try on as T-R-I-O-N, research, all one word, dot D-E, um, go to that web and open the publications page and you'll find there information about several, not only Remuvab, uh, which is also called Catchamaximab, for EPCAM-positive tumours, especially ovarian cancer and ascites, but you'll also find information about some of the newer antibodies uh, for HER2, for uh, lymphomas, leukaemias and melanomas. And uh, it's a very, very informative page. If uh, you can, there's abstracts there to download if you're interested and you're able to read those. Um, So I think that's an excellent resource for you. Now, since we spoke with Dr. Lindhofer, there's been a bit of a change for the um, other part of Tryon Pharma, where the product uh, Remuvab has been moved into a whole um, new level. So Neovi, Neovi Biotech, have actually uh, taken over that particular avenue of the Remuvab. Now, their spelling is N-E-O-V-I-I. 
Um, one of the eyes doesn't have a, a dot in the right place, so it looks a bit confusing um, if you first look at it on the web. So I would suggest that you uh, go to the page where you're listening to this um, interview, go down to the bottom of the e-card, and you will find the link to Neovi there. Uh, they have a fantastic website. It has uh, lots of resources on it, medical questions. It's got an area for customers. Um, it's serving patients both in Europe and the USA, uh, so that's also very helpful. And if you have a look at their, um, not only the contact page, but actually go to the therapeutic areas on that website, you'll find some great information about their biotech um, about transplanted uh, uh, issues, the stem cell transplant and antibody therapies that are in development. You'll also find out about the antibodies in oncology, Removab as well as other ones. So it's an excellent resource for you today. Again, if you're a health professional, I suggest you have a look there. Now, I mentioned earlier Dr. Jill O'Donnell Tommy, who is from cancerresearch.org. And their immunology month, or immunotherapy month rather, um, was I'm the Answer to Cancer, where over 30 days they've published 30 stories from their trials and trials they've been associated with or funded, um, successful patient outcomes from cancer immunotherapy. I would really highly recommend that you take a look at this page if you want to be inspired. Um, there are also areas on that page where you can explore trials and you can communicate with the people at cancerresearch.org. So when you go onto that site, you type in, I'm the answer to cancer, and it's um, I am the answer to cancer, all one word, dot org. If you get lost, just find it from cancerresearch.org. But what you'll find on that uh, particular website is the immuno community. And if you select that, you'll see a little pop-up called Patient Stories. And those patient stories, as I said, 30 days, 30 stories, you can look through. We've got uh, physicians, we've got people who've recovered from ovarian cancer, pancreatic cancer, kidney cancer, melanoma. Um, we've got uh, several pages there for each day of the month lung cancer, Ewing sarcoma, leukemia, prostate cancer as well. And uh, you can actually have a look at the people behind the stories and then go down and read about what they actually did. There's also Brad who was there on day 15 with glioblastoma. Um, we had a breast cancer lady, another ovarian cancer lady and um, a couple more prostate cancer patients as well. So uh, lymphoma is also included there and there'll be a couple more stories uploaded. So when you actually go to the patient area, if you scroll, you'll see some little green numbers, one, two, three, four. And if you click on those, it'll take you through to the patient stories. Don't miss out on having a look at that. Um, now, because uh, we were able to uh, visit the QIMR Berghofer Medical Research Institute in Brisbane, we were able to interview two quite well-published um, authors, scientific authors, who have been researching immunotherapy. That was Professor Rajiv Khanna, and last week we interviewed Professor Jerome Gallon, who was um, a visiting fellow from uh, Paris in France to the QIMR Berghofer. They have also amazing programs. Um, their email is um, inquiries at qimrberghofer, B-E-R-G-H-O-F-E-R dot E-D-U dot A-U for our Australian folk. Um, they also are involved with many trials and they have some terrific public forums. Now their next public forum uh, is going to be on Tuesday the 15th of July um, and it's from 6 until 8pm. There's going to be someone talking on breast cancer risk and um, we have Dr. Stacey Edwards there from the Functional Cancer Genomics Laboratory. Cancer and chemotherapy. We also have someone from the Genomic Biology Laboratory, Dr. Nicole Clunan. 
And talking about ovarian cancer, patterns of care and outcomes, Dr. Susan Jordan is taking that one and she's uh, the Gynecological Cancers Research Group at QIMR, Berghofer Medical Research Institute. If you want to book a place for that, um, they've had a lot of uh, pretty well standing room onlys uh, recently at their forums, so you can call them on 1-800-993-000. That's a Brisbane, um, Australia location, and um, you can also email them or check out grayschoolermedia.com as usual. Now, I hope that uh, you have enjoyed this past month of uh, Immunotherapy Month. And if you have any questions about any of the information on here, don't hesitate to email me. You can contact me through a contact form now on grayscallermedia.com. Do that directly, or um, you can check out our websites as well as listed on the Voice America homepage for Navigating the Cancer Maze. I wish you a wonderful weekend and I look forward to seeing you and hearing you and hearing from you again next week on that Navigating the Cancer Maze. Uh, we're very delighted to be able to bring you up-to-the-minute information about the latest treatments for cancer. Bye for now. Thank you again for listening to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Please join your host, Grace Goller, again next Friday at 12 noon U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember, cancer is not something you have to face alone.